Dr. Wendy McFalda runs a dermatology practice and needed help getting her team, her marketing, and her message all on the same page. I'll let Dr. McFalda tell you about her experience with one of our story brand facilitators, Trisha. We love Trisha. She was perfect for us. And her energy was just fantastic. And knowledge. We had a really great, great, great workshop. For us, because there were 17 people in the room that are from different aspects of the practice, finding one overarching message that encompassed the entire office was challenging. But we got through it and we learned the structure. And then, you know, at the end of the workshop, we put together a roadmap of, you know, who's going to do what? What do the next steps look like? You know, now we can specifically break it out. But after going through that really difficult one, everybody's excited to do one in their own area because it feels like it's going to be easier. It's just really exciting to see that happening. We love hearing stories like this, and we hear them constantly. You can re-energize your team and your marketing and your messaging and get them all on the same page, heading in a clear direction by bringing in one of our facilitators to host a private workshop for your company. Go to storybrand.com slash private workshops to book a workshop for your team today. That's storybrand.com slash private workshops. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., question for you. Okay, go. If Marie Kondo Uh shows up at your door, (laughs) walks into your house. Oh, she would be terrified. (laughs) (laughs) She'd be terrified about your house? Yes. Or you would be terrified of her? Both. I think I would actually be terrified of her. I'm not sure she isn't a spirit animal of some sort. <laughs> She's got this, like, I don't know, somebody coming out of the woods. Uh-huh. I don't think she walks. I think she just, just sort of levitates in. and floats yeah. in. I think, yeah, uh-huh. I think that's kind of it. Yeah. No, my closets are definitely like full, and I've had roommates that have asked me to declutter. I know that there's three people in your office. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious which desk is yours. Oh, 100%. I have two <laughs> boxes full of stuff beside my desk like, yeah. that I can't get rid of. I don't have room for them in there, but I actually, I literally have two boxes beside my desk that are not unpacked, and they're not even stuff that I use. I just have them beside mine. There's a little bit of that. I mean, that's my house. Yeah. That's my house <laughs> a little bit. She would, she would come in and kind of freak out a little bit. However, okay. Marie Kondo has not been tasked to help you declutter your home. Oh, okay. She has been tasked to help you declutter your work week. Ooh. There you go. Ooh. How's that for a transition? I like that. Look at you are the master of transitions. <laughs> That's why that they is, call me Mott. Yeah, they do. We call you that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, yeah. you know, it's a business podcast. Yeah. Today's guest is Michael Hyatt. He has a book called Free to Focus that is out tomorrow. Uh-huh. If you're listening to this on Monday the 8th, it's out tomorrow, Monday the 9th. And before it was ever a book, I went to Mike's Free to Focus Seminar, which is essentially three days with the Marie Kondo of business, <laughs> helping you get rid of the crap in your life that yeah. you do not, that should not be in your life and yes. helping you find something else. I'm wondering, what is the first thing, and I realize it's a bit of an elusive question, yeah. what yeah. is the first thing that Marie Kondo says, this has to go? For me, yes. in my life, I think the biggest thing for me is I am kind of especially in this like data phase right now because of my dissertation that I was working on. So a lot of data, but I'm also looking at the numbers all the time for our company overall, and but, but, I'm a little think, obsessed with but do you ha- it. Are you too obsessed with it? Because actually, as yep. the owner of the company, I would yep. say I want you to be no, obsessed with that. I look at it like I will <laughs> look- Recondo, you're yeah, fired. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I look at it in a way like where I'm looking at it, and then before it is even able to refresh, I'm refreshing it on my screen to see if it, the numbers have changed. Like sometimes I will just kind of stare at that a little bit. I and- don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> But I do it a lot. I would say that. And one thing that we've done recently, even in our office, is we work on Slack. All of our companies on Slack. And we used to have it on all the time. Like you were just kind of, basically it showed that you were working, you were in the office. Yeah. And so it was always, notifications were popping up and some of them were just fun things that we talk about in the office and some were direct. And so it was always open on my desktop all the time. So every notification that came in kind of stopped whatever I was doing. And I looked over and I was thinking that it only gave me, you know, a five second little, I just need to pay attention for five seconds to it. But in reality, it's hijacking, it, your it was brain. hijacking my brain. And so turning that off 
decluttered essentially my work day, even that. Well, when I did Michael Hyatt's thing, he gets to this in the interview. He actually takes you through the whole seminar in this interview. But the two things that I came away with were, one, my desire zone really is the thing that I like to do the most that is also the most profitable for whatever my objectives mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. It has to be both. Yeah. And for me, that is writing. And mm -hmm. then the next thing, there are nine things that he takes us through, but these were the top two that I walked away with. The next thing was designing the perfect week. Yeah. So I actually sat down and said, okay, all day Monday, I need to be in my chair, in the treehouse, which is the attic at the office. I need to be writing all day Monday, half a day Tuesday, half a day Wednesday. Then I do internal meetings Tuesday, internal meetings Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm usually recording podcasts or something like that. Mm -hmm. What I realized designing my ideal week is... I can maybe have one or two sort of personal meetings during the week, every week, and that's it. Yeah. There were three requests yesterday. So, you know, I'm having to say no to people all the time, yeah. which brings up another point that Mike gets to, and that is, how do you say no? Yeah. Right? How, how do you say no to folks? All this stuff really matters, because if you can actually design it out, your productivity goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. I would anticipate we're going to see, we saw a 60% increase in revenue last year. It is very hard to duplicate that, but we're going to see a significant double-digit percentage in yeah. revenue this year with me off of the road. So yeah. part of designing, there's a lot of travel that went into last year, 75 days. Yeah. Not 75 days, 75 trips, 12 trips this year. That's a significant decrease. Yeah. To see double-digit percentage growth and pull me off the road is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. And really what it is, it's a decision to slow down and do high impact things so that you get more leverage out of your actions. Yeah. And you get to maintain a personal life. And the things that bring you joy, going back to Kondo <laughs> herself. <laughs> the things that spark we joke joy. about it in the interview because I really don't have hobbies. I don't. And I hate admitting that because I'm afraid that it's going to cost me like a political career in the future. I was like, well, he's just a robot. He's not a human. You know, I am a human, but I don't have good hobbies. I don't know where to go with that. Maybe everybody pray for me. I tried fly fishing and I literally, all I could see were marketing metaphors. And I started, literally, I put the fly rod down. I picked up my phone. I started writing a book. I know you, you I know you did. Yeah, I've seen those notes. I, did, I, I made it for 10 minutes. In the, you know, I, I mean, enjoyed time on the river and I yeah. had a glass of whiskey with me. That's fantastic. I loved it. I could literally, that's my hobby. What do you do? I stand in a river and I write, books into an iPhone while drinking whiskey. <laughs> That's a good hobby. It's a great hobby. Yeah, don't make fun of me. I'm not. I am me. I'm going to be me. You're very human. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the point... I'm very human. We're having a deep connection. We two are. humans right yes. now. I think the point is a lot of us are really stressed. Yeah. We're very anxious. We are completely distracted by stuff going on on our phones. It is costing you not only money, it's costing you a personal life. It's cost Betsy and I, by the way, have a great marriage, as you know. And I actually took a test that I didn't tell you this. No. I took a test, and part of the personality test registered how happy you were. Uh -huh. And I was as happy as you could possibly be. Uh -huh. Isn't that great? That is fantastic. And I, th I credit a lot of it to the stuff that Mike helped me figure it out. And also saying that standing in a river drinking whiskey, writing a book <laughs> is a hobby. Yes. That helped me a lot. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Mike has been a coach to me for a very long time. His stuff works. He lives it out, as you'll hear in the interview. His book is free to focus, and we just wanted to, Mike, give us the Reader's Digest crash course. Yeah. So you're going to love this. You are going to have to pause it and rewind it and get it, or just go get the book. But here's my interview with the Marie Kondo of business, <laughs> yep. who's going to clean out the closet of your soul, Michael Hyatt. Mike, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Don. You are a magnet for Enneagram 3s, 8s, high-performing 1s. 7s. 7s, yeah. Anybody who wants to get more done, and I, you know, I've said this before because we go back, but you know, one of the things that you are to me, I'm an Enneagram 3, and so what that means, anybody doesn't know the Enneagram, it's a performer and high achiever, somebody who wants to get things done. The lie that we believe is nobody will love us unless we win. But, I, you know, why not win and be loved? I, it's a perfectly great lie to me. It's, it makes me happy. Unless it wrecks your life. And you are very good at work-life balance. You don't give up months off at a time. You have been married to the same woman for forever. Your children like you. And you're a success. It can be done. It can be done. And I don't just hold myself up as the model, but just as kind of the prototype. Yeah. And I've got lots of clients that have done it, and it's absolutely possible. 
Well, the key, according to you, is focus. And we all know that for a long time, or have known it for a long time. But man, the enemy of noise and confusion and confusing priorities attack us every single day. I want to talk about your new book, Free to Focus. Yes. You do a full seminar on this. You do a three-day seminar. Betsy and I paid for, showed up, attended, sat there the whole three days, and absolutely loved it. And there's a lot that goes on in the book, but there's some concepts that I want to talk about that were mind-bending for me. And one of them is, you know, understanding what zone you're operating out of, the desire zone being the optimal one. And the other one, and this may surprise you, I'm wondering how many other people found this so groundbreaking, was actually sitting down and mapping out the perfect week, Ah, the ideal week. If I could live ideally, this would be my week. And I took a lot from the, the seminar, but literally sat down with my assistant and said, this is my ideal week. Let's try to get there every week. We usually get to about 75, 80%. Yep, me too. Since the changes that I've made, last year, 75 business trips, this year, 12. Wow. So hopefully what that means is all but one week a month, I'm living my ideal week. And you say, okay, well, Don, what does that mean? That means two more books will come out instead of one book every 18 months, two books every 12 months instead of one every 18 at the end of distribution, that means my company scales much faster. This will make me millions. So the stuff that we're talking about are small changes, but uh, we're trying to figure out how to adjust our lives in such a way that we maintain efficiency, productivity, while not losing our family and our personal health. Is that why you wrote this book? Because you wanted to help other people figure that out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that there's this kind of cheap form of productivity that's being sold in the marketplace that's actually incredibly detrimental. And I call it the hustle fallacy. But it's the idea that in order to win at work, I've got to set aside my self-care. I've got to set aside my family and my most important priorities just to go all in on work. And that's a way to ultimately lose. But the opposite of that, and people react to that, and they say, that doesn't work. So I'm going to apply what I call the ambition break, and I'm going to throttle back my career ambition and just focus on self-care and my family, make sure that they're first. But then they end up feeling you know, like they're frustrated, like they've not been able to give themselves to what they're called to do. What I'm after and what the book talks about is the double win, where you can win at work and succeed at life. But that takes being intelligent And being intentional about how you design your days, how you design your weeks and your quarters, and really focusing on the high leverage tasks that you give you the biggest return for the effort that you apply. Well, let me back up before we get into the details. What does winning at work mean and what does succeeding at life mean for you personally? Yeah, so succeeding at life for me means that I'm taking care of myself, that I'm in the best health I can possibly be in. I want to be a good steward of my health. Honestly, I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel great. I have extraordinary energy. That's important to me because everything is built on that foundation. It means that, uh, you know, I've been married for 40, almost 41 years now, and I love my wife. My wife loves me. You know, we went out on date night last night. We do it every week. We enjoy being together. And like you said at the beginning, you know, my kids are my best friends. And so hanging out with my kids and my family, my parents, and a few, you know, collection of best friends, you know, that's winning at life. And by the way, having hobbies, having non-work activity that I really enjoy. And then winning at work means having a business that's growing and having an increasingly bigger impact in the world. So our business last year grew 62%. And yet last year, I took 160 days off. That counts weekends, but off, out of the office, not thinking about work, not talking about work, not reading books about work, but doing stuff other than work. So it really is possible, and this is the premise, the subtitle of the book, is to achieve more by doing less. It's possible. I believe that. I actually was just at the gym this morning. I swim in the morning. And usually, you know, in the old days, it's 30 minutes, and then I got to get out of there and get to the office by 9. Today, I swam till about 9.30, did 60 or 70 minutes, and literally had to tell myself, hey, it's okay. You know, breathe. It's fine. Work will be waiting when you get there. And then in that time, came up with an idea for a video commercial that will no doubt, you know, make the company. But it was, I didn't even just say slow down. I said, hey, look, it's in these spaces that you actually get the idea that you need. It's not in the hustle. It is very counterintuitive what you're talking about. I envy you in one regard. I'm often asked, what are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? And my answer is, I work. 
I work and then I fall down. That's what I do. What, what do you? What, I don't want hobbies. You're a fly fisherman. I tried to get into fly fishing. I wrote a coffee table book called The Small Business Guide to Fly Fishing and Marketing. You know, and that book will never come out. Why, why didn't I just fly fish? Are you serious? You literally, you're fly fishing and you're not thinking about work. Totally. I still don't believe you. You're a man of great integrity, and yet I just cannot project myself into that head of yours. Okay, here's why. <laughs> When you're fishing, this yeah. is like an old saying that's known among fly fishermen. When you're fishing, you're doing something, but you ain't doing much. Yeah. You're doing enough <laughs> that you can't focus on anything else. Yeah. And that's the magic of why it works. And You're literally doing something that takes your brain off work. You have to be active about that. So true. And Don, here's the issue. So many productivity systems are all about being more productive. What's the end game? Be more productive. So I cut my 12-hour workday down to eight hours, and what do I do? I fill it back up with work. It becomes back to 12. And I say productivity is a means to an end, but you got to be very clear on what the end is. And for me, and hence the title of the book, it's about freedom. You know, the freedom to really focus and do the work that moves our business forward and our personal life forward. It's also about the freedom to be fully present with the people we love the most and the people that we're working with. The freedom to be spontaneous so that my life isn't so programmed that I have no room to just have fun and enjoy life. Yeah. And this is what you were getting at, the freedom to do nothing. And I learned this in Italy because they have this saying in Italy, la dolce far niente. It means the sweetness of doing nothing. And it's in those spaces where you're doing nothing that oftentimes you get the greatest creative breakthroughs, the greatest problem solving. All that happens when you give yourself the space to do nothing. And that's the brain science proves that when we're the most relaxed is when we can be the most creative and our brain works the best. Well, I mean, you're living proof and it's working for you. You have three things to think about in this book, three sections of the book, if you will. The first is in order to be more productive and get more freedom, you need to stop and then you need to cut and then you need to take action. You need to act. Am I right there? That's right. Those are the three major sections. All right. It's counterintuitive to say that to be more productive, I need to stop. So what do you mean by stop? Okay. So here's the deal. We're all on a hamster wheel. We're running so fast. We don't know where we're going, but all we need to try to do is to run faster. So I'm saying, no, stop, push the pause button, get off the hamster wheel and ask what we're doing. So the first chapter is formulate. We need to formulate a clear productivity vision. What's the end game? What is more productivity going to allow us to become or to do? And that's where I go into the freedom section. It may be different for different people, but for me, it's freedom. Second chapter is about evaluate. And that's where we've got to assess honestly where we are, realize that not all work, not all meetings, not all opportunities are created equal. And that's where I expand upon that idea of the freedom compass, which we can come back to in a minute if you want to. Yeah. And then the third chapter in that section is rejuvenate, where I talk about, you know, the importance of taking care of yourself. The most productive thing you could possibly do is not find the right app, not use the right strategy. One of the most productive things you could do is get a good night's sleep. Yeah. You know, you're so much more productive when you're rested. You're more focused when you're rested. And that's why that's, you know, critically important to do. So again, it's all about stopping. I know it's counterintuitive, but we've got to assess and become really intentional about where we're going with this productivity thing if we're going to create the life we want. Anybody who knows Michael or who has listened to him know you structure your rest. You actually plan your rest. You write it down. You write down what you're going to do. Do you know Pete Richardson? I do. He actually made me sit down and think about, Don, what gives you rest? I'd never thought about it. And it was walking my dog. It was physical yard work. And it was going to movies. Those were the top three things that recharged me. All, by the way, alone. They were all introvert things. So that was what, seven years ago or so. I began to schedule those things, and it completely changed my life. Because I would see going to a movie as taking a break from work, and now I see going to a movie or walking the dog as part of work, in the sense that you're recharging the battery so that you can get more work done. Totally. And, that was, and you more or less see that the same way. Is that right? I do. And that's why I don't try to work on weekends. I don't think about work, read about work, talk about work on the weekends because I want to hit the ground running on Monday morning, totally recharged and with my best self conditioned to do my best work. That's why I take a month long sabbatical in the summer where I don't talk to my office. I, I never hear from them unless it's an emergency. And by the way, when I get myself out of the way, then my business scales, which is a key thing I talk about in the book as well. Let's talk about that because there are business leaders who are listening and saying, well, that's a luxury. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I wish I could not go to work for a month. One thing, you know, if you're not a business owner, you're right. That's going to be a difficult thing. But I do think there are times where even as if you're in middle management, there's ways that you can structure your life similar to what you're doing. But I will say this. One thing about, you know, I'm not taking a month off. Hopefully some years I'll be able to do that. But Betsy and I will take a week or two weeks off sometimes. One thing in order to get there, you've got to structure your business to be able to work without you. That in itself is a positive thing. So if you say, well, that's a luxury. I can't do that. You can. You're just going to have to start heading there and start figuring out, you know, how to make this thing scale without you. That's probably the first goal of even living this out. Am I right? Totally. I was talking to my doctor. This is probably about three years ago. We were just making some small talk because I'd just gotten back from my sabbatical. And she said, oh, that must be nice. You know, and I said, well, have you ever thought about doing it? She said, well, I could never do that because if I'm not working, I'm not making money. And I said, okay, well, let me ask you a different question. What would have to be true in your life to be able to do that? For you to be able to take a month off, what would have to be true? All of a sudden, paradigm shift. She said, well, you know, I'd have to save for it. I'd have to figure out how to take care of my uh, patients while I'm gone. She ended up reorganizing her business. The next year, she took two weeks off and went to Italy. She came back. She said, look, I know it wasn't four weeks, but it was two weeks, and it's a start. It's huge, yeah. Last year, she took off three. This summer, she's planning to take off four. She also happens to be a client of mine. But you got to start small, baby steps, not think about what's not possible, but think what would have to be true for you to do that. That unleashes the kind of creativity that you need to make the progress you want. I love it. Okay, after we stop, and really stop is evaluate. I mean, you just have to evaluate. you got to step out of yourself. you got to look back at yourself and look at this chaos of a life and figure out what's going on. Then we need to start cutting. And this is where I would imagine we get into the, the desire zone a little bit here, right? Yeah. Imagine a two-by-two two matrix, you know, four boxes, and imagine that the axes are passion, what you love and what you don't love. Yeah. And what you're good at or proficient at and what you're not proficient at. Now rotate that 45 degrees so that one of those quadrants is at the north end of the compass. So true north. True north in the freedom compass is where your passion and your proficiency come together. Things that you love to do. Things that deeply satisfy you. And on the other hand, things that you're really good at. Things that you're proficient at, especially as measured by the fact, the objective reality, that people are willing to pay you to do that thing because you're that good at it. Yeah. So we call that the desire zone. The more you can spend time in your desire zone, the stuff you're made to do, the more profitable your business will be, the more impact you'll make in the world, the more job satisfaction you'll have. The opposite end of that, due south, is your drudgery zone. This is the stuff you don't love, the stuff you're not good at, and the stuff that, frankly, is a grind. And so when I left Thomas Nelson, as you know, I was the CEO and the chairman there, and I left, suddenly found myself a solopreneur, and all this stuff that I had taken for granted in the big corporate world, I was now doing myself. So I'm managing my own email inbox. You know, I'm booking my travel. I'm trying to find the FedEx box, and I can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just a grind for me. Well, the secret to getting ahead was to start cutting those things out of the drudgery zone. But in addition on the Freedom Compass, there's also something I call the disinterest zone. That's where you have no passion, but you're pretty good at it. So for me, that was accounting. You know, I was doing all my accounting myself as a solopreneur, and I was pretty good at it. I could use QuickBooks. I knew how to make the, you know, enter the transactions, all that. I just didn't enjoy it. And that leads to boredom. And a lot of people spend a lot of their work life in the disinterest zone. They're good at something. It's what pays the bills, but they don't have any passion around it. The opposite side of the Freedom Compass, you know, this would be due west, is the distraction zone. You know, this is where you love something, but you're not very good at it but you do it to escape the kind of important work that actually moves your business forward. Right. So for example, for me, that was web development. You know, I'm okay. I know a little bit about web development and I really enjoyed tinkering with my website and playing with design, but I wasn't that good at it. And in fact, I had a client and probably some of our listeners will be able to relate to this. His name was Greg. And Greg said, I know I need to stop doing web development because it's not my principal business. You know, it's just something I have to do. I have to have a website. But he said, I'm pretty good at it. And I just, I don't want to spend the money to hire somebody. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How much do you bill at an hour? He said, about $150 an hour. I said, okay. I said, what would it cost you to get a web developer that actually knew what he was doing and could do the job you want done? He said, probably $50 an hour. I said, so why are you insisting 
Why do you continue to pay a not-so-good web developer, by your own admission, $150 an hour? Because that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Well, the lights went off, and he said, wow, I never thought about it like that. I said, if you would just hire a web developer, it would free those hours up so you could bill at $150 an hour. And even if you pay somebody else $50 an hour, you're coming out $100 an hour for the better. That's how, as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, we have to think about the delegation side of it. So that's the Freedom Compass. Yeah, when I did this exercise, I really discovered that what I needed to do and what I like to do is write. And so much of the getting on a plane and chasing an honorarium for a speaking fee was costing me a book a year, right? Every yeah. two or three years, I'm releasing a book instead of every year. And at the end of distribution, that cost millions of dollars. So it was hugely freeing for me to know all day Monday, I'm in, we call it the treehouse at our current office. It's the attic room. I'm up there writing half day Tuesday, half day Wednesday, and then we do meetings. None of that would have happened without that tool. What Mike is talking about is really huge. What do you like to do and what's going to move your objectives forward? And then from there, you actually get to plan your perfect week because you don't really know what your perfect week is until you know what your desire zone is. That's right. And is the perfect week in the second section where you're cutting stuff out or is it in the third? It's actually in the third section. So the second section is on cut. Yeah. So for anything to be healthy and to really grow, you got to prune it. Right? It's true for my roses yeah, in the front yeah. of the house. It's true for That's my- you guys' theme for the year, right? For your business? It's our theme for the year. I saw that on Instagram. You're pruning. We're pruning all kinds of stuff. I talk about elimination, automation, and delegation. So the first place you have to start cutting, and this is before we get to the ideal week, but the first place you have to cut is all those things that are outside of your desire zone. It requires baby steps. You're not going to do it all at once. But I suggest that people start by cutting the things in their drudgery zone. What are the things that don't have to be done? Then move to the disinterest zone and the distraction zone because you want to focus the bulk of your time in the desire zone. That means you've got to get good at saying no. And the problem for most of us, and this is true for me, and maybe it's an Enneagram 3 thing, I'm an Enneagram 3 like you are, is that I'm kind of a recovering people pleaser. I hate to say no. And so one of the things I've had to figure out in order to get better at this whole issue of elimination is get really good at saying no. Warren Buffett has a statement that's profound. He says the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Hmm. And so you've got to be able to do it, particularly as a recovering people pleaser, in a way that affirms the other person. And does it make you out to be a jerk? And also I've found that I've, I've got to be very clear on what I'm actually saying yes to. What's the bigger yes that's behind the no? So, for example, when somebody you know comes into town, maybe an acquaintance or whatever, and they want to have coffee with me at 7 a.m., then in order to do that, I'm going to have to say no to working out. Right. Or in your case, if somebody comes through town and wants to meet with you on a Monday when you're supposed to be writing, then if you're not careful, you give up that writing time. And so you're actually – it's a trade-off. You're saying yes to that person, but you're saying no to writing. Yeah. And you're saying no to that future you're trying to create. So I have this formula in the book, and I talked about this also in the live workshop, but it's a yes, no, yes formula. And this is something I picked up from Dr. William Urry, who wrote a book called The Power of the Positive No. And it looks like this. When somebody makes a request, I want to first affirm them, and I want to make a silent affirmation of the bigger yes that I'm saying yes to. Then I want to give them a very strict, very unambiguous no, so there's no mistake about what I'm saying. Then third, I want to finish by affirming them. So, for example, having been in the book publishing business, I'm constantly being asked by people to review book proposals. I don't have time for that, and I wish I did, but I don't have time for that. So when I get that request, here's how it looks. First of all, it starts with an affirmation. I'll say, congratulations. This would be like an email. Congratulations. You've done something that 97% of all authors will never do, and that is finished a book proposal. You know, you're well on your way to success as a writer. Then I give them an unambiguous no, but a positive no. And I'll say, unfortunately, due to my other commitments or in order to fulfill my other commitments, I have to say no. So I've made it totally clear. I've not left a back door like, hey, I'm really busy right now. Check back with me in a month because guess what? It's going to be the same thing in a month. Right? right, right. So better to just go ahead and cut it off now. But then I end with something you know, positive. Hey, you know, all the best to getting your book out. I look forward to picking up a copy when it's ready. You know, And I send them on their way with something positive. If I can point them to a resource, 
all the better. But it's the yes, no, yes formula, which leads into the automation section of the book, which is the next chapter. And one of the things, one of four types of automation I talk about, templates. And so I've taken all those typical requests I get, and I've got about 40 or 50 of them now, where you know people say, could you serve on my nonprofit board? Could you make a charitable contribution? Could I get together with you and pick your brain over coffee? But I have a yes, no, yes template so that I can say no with grace when those requests come up. And because it's automated, it doesn't take me 10 or 20 minutes to reply to that email. It takes me like 10 or 20 seconds. Yeah. I was just telling Stephen, our producer, that really since we've been sitting here, the third person texted me who wanted to get together and happened to be in Nashville this weekend. And weekends are it's the only introvert time I get, right, is Saturday and Sunday. It's yep. the only time that Betsy and I get uninterrupted time together. So those are big asks. But I hear often this quote, well, he couldn't even take 10 minutes to get together once. And what they don't realize is, you no, know, once is for you, and then there's twice, third, fourth, fifth. That's right, totally. And it, it's hard for people to realize that. What do you do when yes, no, yes doesn't work? Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. But like you said, more often than not, it's an acquaintance right. who, by virtue of the fact that they know me from another context, they feel entitled. And I'll tell you something, if you want to not motivate me and tick me off, act entitled. Yeah. They read your book 10 years ago, and now you owe them a public endorsement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sort of thing, yeah. And that's yeah. why when I ask people for things, like when I sent the manuscript to Free to Focus out, and you graciously agreed to endorse and gave me a great endorsement, but I always say things, look, if this doesn't align with your brand, or you don't have the time to do this, please feel free to say no. We're still friends. I mean, I get it, right? Yeah. And so I think we've got to be that way on the other end. But here's the thing I think we've got to really be careful of. We can't go through life pleasing the wrong people and displeasing the right people. That's right. My whole reasoning is, you know, Jesus had 12. Who am I to have 250? Like, if he could manage 12, why am I trying to do much more than that, right? Well, and he was misunderstood, right? Yeah. And so we're going to be misunderstood at times. That's just part of what we face. Yeah. So that's eliminate and automate. But delegate is where it gets really tricky. So on delegation... If you can't scale yourself, you can't scale your company. But here's where a lot of solopreneurs, leaders get stuck when they don't have a team. Because here's what they think. There's like three sentences that rattle around in their brain. Number one, if I want it done right, I have to do it, what? Myself. Right. Right? Second sentence that goes in their brain is they say it takes longer to explain how to do it than just do it myself. The third thing they say is, I can't afford to pay somebody else to do it right now. I guess I'll just have to do it myself. And as long as you are the center of everything you're doing, your business is not going to grow. You're going to reach what John Maxwell calls the law of the lid. You will not be able to scale. So here's the reality about delegation. It does take longer to explain it the first time. But then once you've done that and made that investment, then you reap the rewards of somebody who is doing that work and you don't have to ever do it again. The second statement, the idea that if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. Well, here's the thing. If you hire the right people, if you hire people for whom the things you're asking them to do are in their desire zone, not only can they meet your expectations, they can do it better than you imagine. Like we did this Achieve conference in Nashville last fall. It was the biggest conference we've ever done. It was a thousand people, three-day conference. And I didn't see the venue I didn't see the workbooks. I didn't see the signage or the branding or anything until the day before the conference when I walked in and I was blown away. It exceeded my expectations. Why? Because I was clear about my vision and then I got out of the way. That's the secret to delegation. The part about affording it, it's like any other investment. You have to make the investment before you're going to reap the return. And here's the cool thing about virtual assistants today. You can hire somebody for as little as five or 10 hours a week start to make some progress, start to get a return on that investment, and then you can increase the number of hours. That's how I started. That's how most of entrepreneurs I know that build teams start. But every time I've done that, my business has leaped forward. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Michael Hyatt in just a moment. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you take four years off of your business and go get an MBA from Harvard Business School? Sounds awesome, right? No, it sounds, I mean, it sounds great if you could take four years off or two years or however much and do it or do it at night when you're exhausted and trying to raise kids. It just doesn't work. 
I mean, you know, nothing against Harvard Business, but what if you could actually get a daily business tip? That is, learn something new about operating your business every single workday morning, like a devotional for your business to set your mind really straight and help you make money today. That tool is now available and it's free. Just go to businessmadesimple.com and I, Donald Miller, have sat down and said, look, I used to do it this way. That cost me money. Now I do it this way. That makes me money. And I do it every single freaking day. Every single day, you get a five-minute video from me. Go to Business Made Simple. Just tell us where to send it. Give us an email address. We will send it to you every single day. There's no reason to wake up and spend the first several hours of your day in a fog wondering what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you, and it's worked for me. It's worked for thousands of others. Every single day, a five-minute video, it is better than an MBA. You do not have to leave your family and pay $50,000 a semester and get an education. You can get it in five-minute chunks every single day. A video in your email box every single day. Go to businessmadesimple.com and sign up businessmadesimple.com. I can't email it to you unless you give me your email address, which is at businessmadesimple.com. There'll be a box there and you put your email in and I send you a video every day, businessmadesimple.com. All right. Step three is act. We now have to act on and really recalculate everything that we're doing so we're living differently. I will say this. If you pick up Free to Focus and you want to read the book, it's a lot of work, Mike. You really have to restructure what you're doing. I think it's about 90 days of slowly making changes. Yeah, that's probably true. Percentage incremental changes. You think so? I think so. Because you're kind of rewiring your brain and your philosophy about productivity. But oh my gosh, then you suddenly have a life that you're enjoying and not stressed out, not overwhelmed, not burned out, and you have a really a fair shot at winning at work and succeeding at life. So, yeah. okay, act, act. Okay, so now we finally get to the idea of week. So that's consolidate. This is the idea that you structure a week, you create this idea of week, as if you had a hundred percent control of your time and resources. So for me, here's what it looks like. It looks like on Monday are all my internal meetings. So all my meetings with my team. The reason I try to batch them together like that is this idea of context switching. In other words, every time I switch, like from a meeting to recording a podcast to meeting somebody, that's context switching. And every time I move into a new activity, there's a wrap-up time. There's, you know, the headspace of getting into that activity. And it's that ramp-up, you know, getting the flywheel moving, so to speak, that takes so much time. So instead, I get into the space of internal meetings, and that's all I do on Monday. Tuesday for me is what I call a backstage day where I'm preparing for my onstage time. And maybe I'm working through the show notes for a podcast I'm going to record or rehearsing a webinar or whatever. Then Wednesday and Thursday for me are front stage days. That's days when I'm doing interviews with you. Yeah. I'm speaking at an event, you know, recording video, whatever. And then Friday is my day for external meetings. So if I get a text from somebody who wants to get with me, to the best of my ability, and I'm not legalistic about this, but I will try to push it onto Friday so I don't have this spattering of external meetings all through the week that are interrupting my workflow when I've got the headspace to do that. That's really great. That's got to be my next step. Yeah. You just help me figure out what's next. Yeah, okay. I call it context batching in my head, but what did you call it? Well, I was calling it context switching, where I'm switching, switching. from- Switching, so and you want to avoid that. I want to avoid that. That's right. I try to practice also mega batching where I can devote an entire day to an activity. So that's why I have like internal meetings all day on Monday and external meetings all day on Friday. But like recording podcasts, when Megan and I get together in the studio and record the podcast, we do 13 in a day and a half because we get into that frame of mind. There's some ramp up costs. The first couple are slow. Then we're cooking with gas. Then we fly through the rest of them. We can start dragging toward the end, but it's much more efficient you know, than trying to record those, you know, one a week or two a week or four a week or whatever. So then we don't have to think about it for an entire quarter. So that's the consolidate chapter. All right. So consolidate, we designate, and then we activate. Did we talk about beating interruptions and distractions? That's the last one. Okay. How do we do that? I want to back up the designate. Okay. Okay. So this is where we got to design our quarter. We got to design our week and we got to design our day. Okay, so this is like the offensive strategy. You know, we're about to get on the football field. We've got to have an offensive strategy. And so what's the game plan? Well, the game plan is I want to have three goals for the quarter and three and only three. 
because, you know, I've got all these other projects I'm trying to manage. I've got the whirlwind of my life. And a goal by necessity is going to put me in my discomfort zone. It's going to be outside the scope of business as usual. So I can't have too many if I'm going to have the focus I need and the resources I need to actually achieve them. Then I want three priorities for the week. There's probably a gazillion things I could do this week. But what are the three that will really move my business forward? And so I identify those in my weekly preview. And I talk about that inside of that chapter. And then for today, and this is probably the, like, the most game-changing thing that I could say for most people on this podcast, is to come up with your daily big three. So I do that inside my full focus planner. You know, we've got a daily page where we put our appointments and then identify the daily big three. So these, of all the tasks I could do, these are the three that are the highest leverage, most important, probably related to my priorities or my goals, but the things that I've said are the most important to move me forward. Now, contrast this with how most people structure their day. Yeah. They get up in the morning. They have 20 things on their to-do list. If they have a to-do list at all. If they have it at all. But they look at that list and they just, you know, sigh. Because they know. They just know that there's no way they're going to accomplish all the stuff that's on that list. So they start feeling overwhelmed and defeated. Even if they get 10, 12, 15 things done, they focus on the 10 that are left undone. And so they go to bed feeling defeated. And this vicious cycle just keeps repeating itself. Imagine a different kind of reality where you set yourself up to win. You design a game that you can win. You come up with three and only three big tasks that you're going to do for the day. You can have that other stuff. And I think you actually coined this term one time when we were talking, sort of the junk drawer, you know, where you put all your other tasks, you know, so like running this errand or making this phone call, you know, those probably don't have to happen today. Sometimes they're mission critical. And if they are, I put them as the big three, but only focus on those big three. If you do that every day, five days a week, 250 workdays a year, that's 750 important tasks that you get done. That's That's what moves your business forward. It's a lot. I've done this for years and now I actually use your planner. I sit down and use it and you'll find out more if you buy the book. You can get Mike's planner and he sends it to you every quarter. It isn't just about productivity. I don't want to be dramatic here, Mike, but it's also about mental health. I mean, if your mind works like a junk drawer, it works like a junk drawer. It feels like it's full of junk. But there's almost nothing more relieving when you feel overwhelmed. I can't tell you how many times I've felt like I have so much to do today. There's no way I can get it done. Well, let me sit down and make a list. And I have two things. And I'm like, wait a second. There wasn't so many things. There's two things. Yeah. You know, let me just go do them now. You just get some mental clarity from that, and it's terrific. All right. Now that we've decided our big three, how do we beat interruptions and distractions? The last part, activate. Yep. We've got the offensive plan. Now we need a defensive plan because you enter the field with an offensive plan, and then you meet the opposition, and your plan falls apart. Everybody right? has a plan that until they get punched in the face, I think is what Muhammad <laughs> Ali right. said. I love that quote. <laughs> There's two kinds of things that we got to deal with here. One is interruptions. And two is distractions. So an interruption is something that external happens. I talk to business owners and entrepreneurs all the time who say, I can't get anything done because I'm so busy trying to help people who are interrupting me, wanting me to help them get their things done. Right. Right. So instead of that, one of the great hacks for this is that before you go into that alone time when you're going to do that focused work, like for you on Mondays when you're going to write, to go to the people that are the most likely to interrupt you, you know who they are, (laughs) and just say to them, hey, you know what? I want to serve you and I'm about to go into a deep work session and I don't want to be interrupted, but I want to know if there's any questions I can answer now, any issues that I can discuss with you because I'm about to go into this time and I, I don't want to be interrupted. Did I mention I don't want to be interrupted? Yeah. <laughs> so now you've at least you know, signaled to them that this is going to be some alone time and what your expectations are, but you've also serving them by asking if there's anything you can deal with so you can help them with their assignments before you do it. So that's a terrific way, little hack, to beat interruptions. Then there's distractions. These are tougher. So the distractions look like they're external, but they're really internal. So this would be things like text messages, email inboxes, yeah. Slack, social media posts, all this stuff for which we get a dopamine hit when we respond because it's a low-level activity. And don't think that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram don't know about this. They're spending billions of dollars to hack your psychology and keep you glued to their social media platforms. Why? Because they're collecting our 
eyeballs and repackaging those and selling those to the highest bidder. They've got a business model that depends upon you being distracted. So one of the things I've done just recently is I took my phone. You may see this in Instagram. I got this very expensive iPhone. I yeah. paid like $1,200 for it. It's the latest, greatest, biggest iPhone. And now it's a dumb phone because I took off email. I took off Slack. I took off all social media. The only thing I can do is text and make phone calls. So I almost never use it anymore. And for the first three days I did this, I was compulsively picking it up because the average person picks up their phone 150 to 200 times a day. Unbelievable. Every time we get bored. Yeah. Every time we get frustrated. Well, it took me about three days to break that habit. The only thing I have on here in social media, and this is kind of a cool hack, I have Instagram because I'm trying to build my Instagram following. But I use technology to beat technology. I went inside of settings of the iPhone. I used the screen time functionality, and I said, I don't want to spend more than 30 minutes a day on Instagram. So at the end of 30 minutes, I get a little pop-up that says, do you want to extend that by another 15 minutes, or do you just want to blow it off for the rest of the day? Well, guess what I did? I was constantly extending that and cheating the system. Yeah. So I gave my phone to Gail, my wife, and I said, I want you to enter a passcode, and I don't want you to tell me what it is, and I don't want you to ever give it to me. So that when my screen time is up, it's just up. I can't defeat it. And so that's what I do. And it's never been a problem How long ago was that? Two weeks ago. And you're feeling okay. You do your 30 minutes a day and you're out. Don, I had dinner the other night. You mentioned Brian Miles. I had dinner with Brian and Shannon the other night. Yeah. I didn't even take my phone into the dinner because what am I going to do with it? Yeah. There's no reason to take it into the dinner. I could be fully present. I hate my phone. I leave it behind every chance I get because if I have it with me, I'm looking at it. Well, you know the funny (laughs) thing? There's an entire little industry that started now that's creating these really cool dumb phones. They only yeah, do two I've things. They'll make phone calls and text. It's really cool. I've seen them. All right. Well, let me just take you through my Michael Hyatt journey, and I want Mike to hear this as well as the listeners. You just drank from a fire hydrant. And so you're listening to this. You're going, okay, it would take me a week to incorporate any one of those essentially nine ideas that you've shared. I went to Mike's Free to Focus seminar. I highly recommend that you go. It was awesome. And I looked at your planner and I thought, oh, do I, how long is it going to take me to figure this out? You know what? I should invest the time. It's going to be really good. I invested the time. It took 120 seconds. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that you're talking about feels like, well, it's going to take a week. It's not going to take a week. No, it's not. No, it doesn't take a week to do your ideal week. It doesn't take any of that. And so pick up the book, Free to Focus. Mike is not giving me anything for that. I'm just telling you, I bought the product. I use it. I'm probably... I don't know, 50% there, and an enormous amount has changed. There are things I want to do with my life, and as you get older, you know you're running out of time. Right. And I want to get those things done. I don't want to sacrifice, but you know, we do a lot to make sure that Betsy and I stay married, which is going extremely well, and I chalk that up to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally, Mike, I don't know wow. what I'd be doing. Thank you. I think I'd be really successful in career and maybe not so successful in life if it weren't for you. I'm really grateful for that. But the other thing that I want to say is thank you for investing in human beings, that you are the guy who says, hey, human beings are worth it. Human beings obviously have an incredible impact for good for each other. And if we can make them more productive and less addicted to work, we're going to make a better place. I know your personal story with the family that you came out of. You know the one that I came out of. And I think both of us are just trying to make families that don't look like the ones we came out of. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) For ourselves and for other people. And so I'm very, very grateful for you. The book is called Free to Focus. If you're listening on this to this podcast on Monday the 8th, of April. The book comes out tomorrow. Pick it up and Amazon will send it to you or Barnes & Noble will send it to you. If you're listening on this after April 8th, the book is available right now. It's probably a New York Times bestseller as you're listening to this. Mike, congrats on another great book. Thanks for helping us all. Thank you. And I should encourage people to go to freetofocusbook.com because right now this week, we're giving away $500 worth of free bonuses to everybody who orders the book from wherever they want and they redeem the receipt there, and it's a really cool productivity stuff all related to the book that'll make it easier to implement than ever. Sounds great. Michael, thank you. Thank you, Don. All right, JJ. I mean, what is one change? There were (laughs) three categories, but nine things that he mentioned in a whirlwind interview. 
What's one change that I, you make? I've heard you talk about your perfect week for a while now. I and, posted it on Slack. Yeah, and it's time for me to create my perfect week. Yeah. Especially, I'm not on the road as much either. We've made that kind of strategic decision for me yeah. not to travel mm-hmm. as much. So now I actually can have a few more of those. So that's, I think, my thing. I'm going to create yeah. my perfect week. And if you want to do it, you literally just take a calendar and you know it starts at 6 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. And you go through, here's what I want Monday to look like, Tuesday. And then you don't really hit it. Yeah. I think I've hit it maybe one week out of the year so far. But I've hit in 70, 80, 90%. Yeah. And I also know, I know when I'm off, yeah. right? So this morning I got up, that's when I got up at six. We knew we had a 10, 30 thing. I made a strategic decision not to do the go to the gym because I worked out really hard yesterday. So, but I knew I wasn't in my perfect week. And that made me say, okay, well, I think I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to sit. I'm going to do some time in prayer, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. You just have a point of reference with which to know you're on or off, and off not being a horrible thing. It's not a terrible thing. You just know yep. whether you're on or off, and a lot of people don't have that. That alone is sanity it's creating. Huge. Yeah, it just helps you stay sane. Yep. Michael, thank you for coming on. We always love having you on. Again, the book is free to focus. Go get it wherever you buy books or on Amazon. He also has freetofocusbook.com that you can go to, and I think there's a bunch of incentives for you to buy the book if you like free stuff. Next week, JJ. Yes. Next week, we get on a rock star bus. You know, like a big bus that has 12 bunks in it Uh uh and a lounge in back and like disco lights or whatever. Like, like, you know, like Led Zeppelin would be on. Like, you know, I don't know. They're like (laughs) famous people. Nice modern reference there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, You know, like, let me me bring it to the modern. Like the Beatles used to do. Britney Spears, right? She's she's famous. Yeah, that's also very modern. (laughs) Very up to date. (laughs) We did this terrible thing that I do not recommend doing, but we are taking a bus to go see Willie Robertson Mm -hmm. from Duck Dynasty, who's got a great new book out about entrepreneurship. I really love Will. He's one of those fun people to hang out with. Hopefully we get to kill something while we're there. I don't know. But <laughs> we strategically decided we're going to get a bus. And then it's amazing how many more people were like, well, you know, we probably need Stephen to hold a light or something. <laughs> like it becomes this sort of thing. We will interview Willie Robertson. He is next week's guest on the podcast. If you ever watch Duck Dynasty or whatever, the guy, you know, he's funny. You know, he's a character. He's winsome. You know, you watch him on the show. He's sitting around in his pajamas making smart comments. He also has built a multi, multi, multi million dollar empire. Yeah. And he is a very smart businessman. So we're going to have a great conversation about that. You do not want to miss next week's episode of the Building Story Brand podcast, where we take a rock star bus to interview Willie Robertson. So make sure that you've subscribed if you haven't subscribed, because it's going to be awesome. JJ, another great episode. Yeah. Another one next week. I'll see you on the bus. Yes. On the Britney Spears bus. Yep. Is Britney and Led Zeppelin on the bus together? Probably, Probably yep. so. I'm Britney, you're Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing could be more true. It's actually really true. Music from the episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>